Okay, Liz, here's some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, multiple systems, delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs, you cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, and you improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. NetSuite.com slash Hollywood. Are you planning to tell Annie Duke that you played poker with her once? <laughs> no, I'm sure she doesn't remember, and she kicked my ass so handily that I think it would just be mortifying. <laughs> Love it. Hi, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Sarah Fain, a TV writer and producer living in LA, and with me is my high school friend and writing partner, Liz. That's me, Liz Craft. On this podcast, we talk about being writers in Hollywood, how we balance a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. In this episode, we're going to talk about how to rekindle the creative fire when you've stepped away from a project for hours, days, weeks, or in our case right now, even months. We'll also talk to former professional poker player and decision-making expert Annie Duke about how we can all make better choices. Finally, this week's Hollywood hack was suggested by a member of our Facebook group, and it makes sharing expenses with friends even easier than Venmo. But first, we want to remind everyone that we are selling our Happier in Hollywood Rainbow Sillipine Cups. I use mine every day. It makes me so happy, and we just got a new shipment. So now is a great time to get one. Yes, especially if you want to get some for holiday gifts, because we don't know how long they will last. They cost $25, including shipping. And if you want more information, email us at happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Okay, Liz, it's time for From the Treadmill Desks of when we talk about what's most pressing in our work psyches. And this week, it's how to rekindle our creative fire after we've spent some time away from a project. Yeah, and this came up because we are finally diving into a project that we first pursued months ago, Sarah. So long ago. I know. I actually looked back in our calendar, and our first meeting on this project was May 1st, and then our last, most recent meeting was May 29th. (laughs) And only now are we actually starting to work on it. So it's been um, like almost four months. Yeah, and we have our launch call next week. And we were so passionate about this project. We were beyond excited, bursting at the seams to get moving on it. And then it just like, it was like it just evaporated while the deal was being worked out for, well, now I know, for four months. 
Yeah, because we, on this project, actually took our lawyer's advice. <laughs> we talked to JR um, recently on the podcast about whether or not writers should work on something while a deal is being worked out. And he thinks, in general, the answer is no. So we took his advice um, and did not work on it. But now the deal has closed. So we are ready to dive back in and we got to rekindle our fire. Yes. So how, Liz, do we do that? Well, we realized the first thing we should do is reread the book. It is not out <laughs> yet, which is why we're not, you know, we're not specifying what this project is. Um, so we asked them to send a hard copy of the galley so we could make notes in the margins to like re-engage our brain. And you started reading it last night. I did. And, you know, we started talking about this as a topic before we had the books. Yeah. And I have to say, less than a page into the book, my creative fire was so rekindled. I'm just like, I am beyond overwhelmed with excitement for this particular okay, so you're project. Back. I'm back. So, That's all it took. So, so literally just reading a page <laughs> rekindled your fire. Okay. Well, yes. for people out there... <laughs> who um, have their own projects they need to get their fire rekindled on, whatever that project may be. Let's talk about other ways to rekindle. So we re we're reading the book. That's Rekindling Our Fire. Another thing um, we can do is talk about like what we love about the characters, what we love about the story, the twists, the world. Um, in this case, the writing itself we love. Yeah, I think if that first page hadn't immediately sort of rekindled us, just the process of sitting there and talking about it and, and going through all the specific details of what made us want to do it in the first place would do that for sure. Yeah. Because all of those elements, even if like one of them is not like we've done adaptations in the past of books, for example, mm -hmm. that didn't just so immediately spring to life in the way that this yes. particular book is, right? Yes. And part of the excitement of those is figuring out the fixes for the things that aren't as exciting. Like that right. also gets your creative juices pumping in a different way. Yeah. And it's funny, Sarah, because I can apply this to even something just in life, like having a party. Okay. You might decide <laughs> two months in advance, oh, sure, I'll host the Halloween party. It sounds fun, but then when it comes time to actually do it, it, your fire is not, you know, lit. Yes. But if you talk about with someone, oh, we could do this fun thing, you know, we can decorate with this, we can buy this kind of bowl for the candy or whatever, it will rekindle that fire, just revisiting all the reasons why you wanted to do it in the first place. Yes, not that anyone is going to be having a Halloween party, sadly, well, this year. 2021. But... <laughs> In 2021. Party, 2021. Best Halloween party <laughs> ever. But I think what you point to is why we like collaboration. Yes. Like collaboration itself is something that really helps rev people up and get people more excited about things. Absolutely. And then I do think the best way to rekindle a fire, and you and I will be doing this very soon, is to actually start working on the project. Yes. I feel like we are already. Yes. Yeah. No, it's true. Once, moving from talk into action is yeah, really and, the thing that gets you going. Yeah. And it's like, even if it's just a baby step, like opening your computer and creating a document, even that little step... Once you've started working on something, you're back in it. 
And also then you're back in the mindset of, oh, this is a priority now. This is something that's on the front burner, not the back burner. Yes. Later today, we will open up Google Docs and start a document for the pitch of this project. Yes, we will. And hopefully we will sell it and then we can tell everyone about it in detail. (laughs) Next up, we talk to Annie Duke. But first, this break. I don't know about you, but we're always looking for ways to get our kids involved and give back in our local community. That's why we're excited to tell you about Student Visionaries of the Year, a campaign by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, which is the largest nonprofit organization dedicated to creating a world without blood cancers. Student Visionaries of the Year is a seven-week philanthropic leadership development program for high school students. Participants form strong teams and fundraise in honor of a pediatric blood cancer survivor in their local Local community. I would love for Violet to do this program when she's in high school. This program is transformative. It not only helps students develop valuable life skills like project management, communication, financial literacy, and entrepreneurship, not to mention it looks great on college applications, but most importantly, it's also a chance for them to engage in meaningful work within their community and make a real impact on blood cancer patients and their families. You can learn more about Student Visionaries of the Year or even nominate a student at lls.org slash students. That's lls.org slash students. Okay, Sarah, we are so excited because today we have an interview with somebody we have admired for a long time, Annie Duke. Yes, Annie Duke is a former professional poker player who won more than $4 million in tournament poker before retiring from the game in 2012. Now she's an author, corporate speaker, and consultant in the decision-making space. Annie's book, Thinking in Bets, Making Smarter Choices When You Don't Have All the Facts, is a national bestseller. Prior to becoming a professional poker player, Annie was awarded a National Science Foundation Fellowship to study cognitive psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. Annie's the co-founder of the Alliance for Decision Education, a nonprofit whose mission is to improve lives by empowering students through decision skills education. Her new book is How to Decide, Simple Tools for Making Better Choices. Annie, welcome. Welcome. I'm so excited to be here. I mean, you know, virtually. Yes. (laughs) As are we. We've been talking about how brilliantly timed this book is because so many people are having to make huge decisions right now about health choices, about jobs, about moving somewhere new. It's just your timing is incredibly helpful and is going to be really helpful for a lot of people. So what is the most important thing you want people to get from your book? Oh, gosh. Well, so what I'm really trying to help people to understand is how to make decisions when you're uncertain, Mm -hmm. when there's lots of luck involved in the way that things might unfold, and also in particular when you're lacking the information that you need Mm -hmm. in order to really create like a perfect model of the future. So, you know, to your point about sort of this time, One of the things I've been saying is that we always are in this environment where there's a lot of luck and a lot of just things we don't know. There's stuff we don't know, and there's stuff we don't even know we don't know, right, Mm -hmm. that that just kind of creates a lot of subjectivity in our judgments. But I think that in the before times, you know, this we were 
much better at kind of fooling ourselves into thinking that there was less luck than there was and that we actually Hmm. knew kind of more than we did. And when coronavirus came along, I think that that it kind of just sort of slapped you in the face with the uncertainty and everybody was like, oh, no, because if I were to ask you, you know, when's the vaccine coming, you would say, Booth, good. And, you know. (laughs) Uh, what's the fall going to look like? Is it is it safe to open schools? Is it you know all of these things where, even even if we think about when we first locked down, if we had asked were there asymptomatic people who could then spread the disease, that was something that we sort of learned along the way. And so I think it's mm-hmm. very hard hard in this environment to ignore it. And in some ways, as awful as all of this is, I think it presents a really good opportunity for people to become much better decision makers Mm. in this environment. Because when the pandemic goes away, I think you're going to realize that it's not actually that different. It's just a little bit less. So you have to get comfortable with making decisions when you just kind of like you don't have all the information. There's a lot of luck. And how do you actually do that? Well, there's so many fascinating things in the book. We found ourselves talking a lot about the concept of resulting Mm -hmm. because we realize we do that all the time. Can you explain to everyone what resulting is and why it is so problematic? Yeah. So I'll give you an example from the book to explain what resulting is. So let me just set it up a little bit. Basically, if you think about like the influence of luck, What that means is that I could make a really, really great decision, but I could have a pretty bad outcome. Like, uh, you know, I could go through a green light at an intersection and someone can come the other way and hit me. And so what that means is that even though I made a really good quality decision, it doesn't guarantee that I get a good result from it. And obviously vice versa. I could run a red light and get through on skates, or I could decide that I drive better when I'm drunk because I Mm -hmm. (laughs) got home safely. But And the problem is that even though when I talk about something like that, it's so obvious that you wouldn't want to take that conclusion from getting home safely. um, We kind of do that all the time where we see a really bad outcome and we assume that we can say that the decision was really poor because we're looking at the outcome. So that's kind of the problem of resulting. And in life, mostly those things aren't perfectly related to each other. So there's actually a really good example that's relevant to what's coming up in terms of the election, which is if you think about the reaction to Clinton, like what is the thing that we all know about the huge mistake that Hillary Clinton campaign made in her campaigning strategy. Oh, yes. She should have gone to Michigan and Wisconsin. Yes, that she didn't go to the swing states enough, right? Right. And, like, everybody knows this, right? Like, that was completely boneheaded, a stupid mistake. So, you know, as I sort of started over the last few years to hear that over and over again about how dumb that was, I said to, like, at some point, like, I was writing this book and I was trying to think of a really good example of resulting, and I said— You know, I I don't know, maybe my memory's wrong, but I don't remember a lot of people saying this beforehand. Mm -hmm. So I Googled it. I put in like Clinton, 2016 election, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. It seemed like a reasonable Google search. So I Googled it and there were hundreds of articles that came up, like so many think pieces from political consultants and pundits and observers and data people and whatever. And they were all completely trash. Like, this was the worst decision ever that she wasn't in these states. But then I looked at the dates. And can you guess what the first, literally the first date was of any of these articles? I'm guessing it's going to be after the election. November 9th of 2016, the Uh, next day. 
Well, just one of the interesting things you said about resulting, which I think you also saw at a national level, but on just a personal level, is that it makes us lack compassion for ourselves and others. Explain that a little. Do, well, do you think people are particularly compassionate toward Hillary Clinton for that mistake? <laughs> so, Good point. Right. And, and, you know, when we do this in our own lives all the time, too, right? So, so the problem is that what happens is we're not able to sort of sit in somebody else's shoes and allow for the fact that there's all sorts of different ways that things could turn out. And we kind of don't know what that's going to be until we actually observe it, until we actually sort of, you know, have the election. And what happens is that we just sort of allow no grace in there because mm -hmm. you see that something turned out really horribly. And then the immediate reaction is that was your fault. That's because you're a bad decision maker. You were an idiot for making those choices as opposed to stepping back and allowing for, you know, empathy versus sympathy. Empathy, which is really sort of sitting in that person's shoes and thinking, well, what did they know at the time? Was it really that bad? Could they have actually seen that coming? What, you know, what was the data that they were working on? And maybe it wasn't such a bad decision after all, number one. And number two, even if it was, then you would still want to take the other step of not sort of leaving it there, which I think really lacks compassion. Instead, say, so what can we learn going forward? Like, how mm. can we figure out how to be a better decision-making going forward? And I think that it really sort of sits into that space of being able to sort of finger point. Um, the other thing I think it sits in is a little bit in that sort of schadenfreude, right? Mm. That, like, I just get to <laughs> sort of celebrate your misery, you know what I mean? Like, which I think we should all, we would all do better to get away from. Well, and so let's talk about how we can make better decisions. We get so many questions, Annie, from our listeners who want to know if they should move to L.A., for instance. But everyone's situation is different, so it's hard for us to answer. So from now on, we're going to refer to your book because um, you have six clear steps to better decision making. So let's just quickly go through the six steps. So the first one is identify the reasonable set of possible outcomes. Yeah, so I think that when we're making decisions, we tend to think about what the thing is that we hope for. Mm -hmm. And we don't tend to explore what the whole, all the different ways that something could turn out. Like basically identifying the reasonable set of possibilities is really just if you were to think about what would be the ideal decision tool? What, what is the thing, if someone could hand it to you and it existed, that you would want the most? And it would be a crystal ball. Yes. <laughs> I would love one. <laughs> love one, right? That shows you the future. So what that really kind of reveals to you is that good decision-making is really being a forecaster. It's really saying, I'm going to try to predict the future because the better you are at predicting the future, the better your decisions are going to be. So anytime that you're considering a choice, you should be thinking about all the different ways that it, it can turn out because that allows you to be crystal ball-like, right? It allows you to have something that's going to reveal what lies on the horizon for you. And, and as you explore those possibilities, it's going to give you uh, a more accurate view of what could unfold. So it's like that's just a basic first step. And surprisingly, a lot of people just don't do that thing. Absolutely. I think I probably have never done that. Um, and then the second step is identify your preference for each outcome. Yeah, so... We can't really make a really good decision unless we think about wh what is good about that particular thing happening and what is 
bad. So really, when we make a decision, we're doing it in relationship to the goals that we have. And we want to think for any way that the future could unfold, does it advance me toward my goals or cause me to retreat away from it? And so as you identify the possibilities for the way that that could turn out, you can think about, well, what is my preference for this, which is generally just going to be, I'm going to prefer things that cause me to advance toward my goals, and I'm not going to prefer things. I'm not going to like things that cause me to retreat away from them. And, And the thing is that you could, this allows you to see like, well, I have this decision to make, and there's this way that I really want the world to turn out, which tends to be where we live instead of exploring the whole range. And you say, okay, so if I do this choice, this could really get me toward that. But then there's like 10 other ways that turn out horribly mm-hmm. that I'm really not going to like. Mm-hmm. Or I could choose this other option where I maybe it's not quite as good on the, the top end, but there's like four different great ways it turns out, none of which are as great as that one way. But they're, they're pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then I actually don't have as many bad things that happen from it, right? And then, then it's a matter of what your values are, Right. Because it's not that you would necessarily prefer the first over the second. If the first, if that payoff for that great thing, is, if it really does such great things for you, you might choose it. After all, that's why you have startups, right? Like it's mostly right. failure, but then you're Uber. Right. Yes. <laughs> but, that's, yeah. but then at least you know what you're deciding about, if that makes sense. You're, you're actually looking at it and you're saying, okay, I get what my decision is. One's kind of safer. The other one maybe has a bigger payoff. Now you actually have a way to think about the comparison. So that's the sort of estimating the likelihood of each outcome unfolding. Yeah, so that's actually a little bit separate. It's related. So this would be sheer volume, right? Mm -hmm. Like how many great things are there versus how many bad things are there. But then in there, you also want to think about how likely those things are to occur. So you could have like five amazing outcomes that are possible and only two really bad outcomes. But each of the five outcomes is only going to happen like 2% of the time. Mm. (laughs) And both of the bad outcomes are going to happen each 45% of the time. Mm -hmm. So 90% of the time you're going to get crap. And 10% of the time you're going to, it's going to be great. And again, it doesn't mean necessarily that you wouldn't choose that, right? It just means you should know that that's what you're choosing. You want to go into it understanding that you're, you're deciding that, that whatever that is that's so great is worth the fact that it's going to happen pretty rarely. Yes. And then you repeat these same steps for all the options under consideration and compare them to each other. The way you talk about this, Annie, it's your um, your position as a retired poker player comes through because I hear the sort of math <laughs> and possibilities. Totally. Now, obviously, as a poker player, luck plays a role in poker. And you say luck actually plays a big role in decision making. How does that play in? How should we think about luck in our lives? Yeah, so, I mean, we can go back to the Clinton example, right? Like, what, what was the total vote count that she lost by across those three states? I think it was like 60,000. Oh, 80,000, yeah. Yeah, it was really small. So you can imagine, like, a very, very slight difference would have caused it to go the other way, right? So so in some sense, we could say that that was quite unlucky, Right. Um, had it gone her way, we could have said that she was lucky. We could e- equally have said that. Mm-hmm. So you could think about it kind of like in, in sort of a very philosophical sense that at the base of everybody's life is this moment of luck. When are you born to what parents wear? Mm-hmm. Right. 
Okay, so anything that happens after that kind of determines what your possibilities are in your life. Now, you know, obviously there's a lot of stuff that has to do with skill, right? Like how do you execute on the opportunities that are afforded to you? But, you know, I mean, as an example, I mean, we're, you know, I'm a woman. If I were born in 1600, there's the possibilities for what my life could be would be very different, right? I mean, when when we're talking about these issues of equity in America, what they're saying is that at the base of that life, that the possibilities look different. And that, mm. that's what people are sort of having a conversation about. So I guess when we're making decisions, I mean, we just shouldn't consider luck, we, right? I mean, we should just consider the sort of likely outcomes and not factor in luck. I wouldn't say you shouldn't consider luck in the, in the sense in this way. You should acknowledge it. Okay. Right. So it's it's a part of the process because that's what allows you to say there's luck involved. And so here are the different ways that things could turn out and they're going to happen some percentage of the time. And mm-hmm. once I choose an option, that's just kind of what's going to happen. And the more sort of unemotionally you can sort of acknowledge that the luck exists, it's going to help you to see what the futures are that are possible because you're going to actually see them for what they are. But I think that to your point about consider, what I would say is control. We -hmm. don't have a lot of control over luck. You can't make your own luck, which is what everybody says. You can make better decisions that make it so that you're more likely to have things go your way or not go your way because you're going to increase the chances that you're going to get an outcome that you prefer. So, um, So what I say is, think about the part of the decision that you have control over. So there's kind of two Mm -hmm. things that muck it up for us. One is luck, and the other is hidden information. So it would have been really helpful, for example, if Clinton knew there was uh, problems with the polling in those three states. Right. Right. She didn't, but but if she had known that, that would have helped her. And so we're always making decisions where we don't have quite enough information. And that's something that you can actually do something about, unlike luck. And I think that people are, are get really, really focused on kind of the luck element. And they forget that, no, there's something you can actually fix, which is you can improve your knowledge. And if you improve your knowledge, that's actually going to be sort of the foundation that your decision-making house is sitting on. And it's going to make sure that your house is sturdier, right? That the decisions that you make are higher quality. Annie, something else you say in the book is that when a decision is hard, that means it's easy. Yeah. What does that mean? So this is counterintuitive, right? So <laughs> so let's imagine it's the before times, which is like what I like to refer to them as now, the before <laughs> times. And you've got, you know, a vacation for a week and you're trying to decide where to go. Like what are two amazing places that you would want to go? Fiji and Paris. Yeah. Yeah. Fiji and Paris. So let's say that you got it narrowed down to Fiji and Paris. I just asked you to narrow that down. Once people get that narrowed down to Fiji and Paris, I'd really love to go there. They'll tend to have a very hard time choosing between the two. And I think that the way to sort of get at it and sort of get yourself away from it is to do what I call the only option test. So it's to step away and say, I'm having so much trouble deciding between these two things, probably because you can't, they're not really distinguishable. Right. So you can't find you can't find out any new information besides actually experiencing the vacation, which you don't have a time machine, sorry, or a crystal Mm -hmm. ball. So you don't know. But you can do the only option test. So if I like Liz, you you said Paris or Fiji. So if I said to you, hey, I've given you an all all inclusive trip like this is where you're going to go. It's Fiji. Would you be happy if that was the only choice? Thrilled. Right. Okay. so now I say to you. 
guess what? No, actually, here's where you're going to go. I'm sending you to Paris. Would you be Thrilled. happy with that? Right. You're done. Flip a coin. Yeah. Yeah. Because both of them are great. great. Yes. And don't waste all that time agonizing. Yes. No, oh, it's just good. like it's unnecessary anxiety. You're being so mean to yourself mm-hmm. by, you know, and I think, I think that what happens, honestly, I think the reason why people find those so hard is because when it goes wrong, if we go back to that idea of resulting, that's yeah. when we really lose that compassion for ourselves because we really kind of result on ourselves and we're like, oh, I should have known. I'm so dumb. Why did I go to Paris? It rained the yes. whole week. It was a mistake. But the thing is, like, we're not we're not time travelers. We don't have crystal balls. And so all you can do is say, these look pretty good from where I'm standing now. And, you know, it, that's just bad luck that it rained. And it wasn't something that you could predict. And so if we can sort of let go of that beating ourselves up, thinking that we were supposed to have known something that was literally impossible to know right. without actually experiencing mm-hmm. it, I think that we would all be a lot better off and we would, we would be kinder to ourselves for sure. Well, Annie, thank you so much. This is fascinating and incredibly helpful. Again, Annie's book is called How to Decide, Simple Tools for Making Better Choices. It is fascinating and so necessary right now. And Annie, I definitely think we'll be making better choices for having talked to you today. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Coming up this week's Hollywood Hack, the first of Liz, there is nothing I love more than having a delicious meal that I didn't have to cook, which is why I have been getting no prep, no mess meals from Factor. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Last night, I had blackened salmon with broccoli and with cauliflower rice. It was so delicious. It was the perfect dinner. Head to factormeals.com slash HIH50 and use code HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code HIH50 at factormeals.com slash HIH50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. And now it's time for this week's Hollywood Hack, Splitwise. Sarah, this comes from Megan in our Facebook group, and she explained it so well, we're just going to read what she wrote. (laughs) She said, I'm recommending the Splitwise app. It's an app to use in addition to Venmo that is made to track shared expenses. You can use it for two or more people and base it over whatever time frame you want. Then when you want to settle up, it does all the math for you and automatically links to Venmo or PayPal to pay each other. I've used it mostly for group trips like bachelorette parties or birthday weekends, etc. back when those were allowed. But it would also be great for roommates or partnerships of any kind because it makes tracking all expenses across multiple people so easy. You can split things by dollar amounts, shares, or percentages. Crafane, you too could use it for your partnership and then settle up at the end of every month or week or year or whatever, rather than using Venmo every time one of you pays for something for both of you. Splitwise is the next tool to add to your arsenal when it comes to tracking and paying people electronically. 
Yeah, Megan, thank you for bringing up Splitwise because I have used it um, in the before times for <laughs> a mom's night out. And it's so simple to set up and so easy to use. And Liz, I feel kind of like a fool that we haven't been using it. I didn't know about it, but now that I do, this will make our lives so much easier, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, it really will. Um, oh, and I also want to add that Megan was part of our inaugural writer's retreat in Ojai, which now I'm just like, oh, when will we be able to do it again? <laughs> um, anyway, so hi, Megan. Thank you for sharing this hack. Thank you, Megan. Hopefully someday we'll all be together in Ojai again. Yes. And that is it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. For questions or comments, email us or send us a voice memo to happierinhollywood at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe if you haven't already. Thanks to our guest, Annie Duke, by her new book, How to Decide, Simple Tools for Making Better Choices Wherever You Buy Books. Thanks to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, and everyone at Sancola Sound. You can follow them on Instagram at Sancola Sound. Thanks to everyone at Cadence 13. And as always, thank you to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Listen to the other Onward Project podcasts, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, Side Hustle School, Do the Thing with Whole30's Melissa Urban, and Everything Happens with Kate Bowler. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram at sfain and Liz is at Liz Craft. We also have a Facebook group. Search for Happier in Hollywood on Facebook to join in on the conversation. Until next week, I'm Liz Craft. And I'm Sarah Fain. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. There's a section in the book that talks about free rolls, which is when there's not a lot bad that can happen, but lots of good that can happen. Yeah. And um, masks are a really good example of that. Like, okay, uh, they're a little uncomfortable. I'm slightly hotter and I can smell my bad breath. Right. So so that's kind of the worst that happens from it. Yeah. Uh, And the best that happens from it is like COVID stops. So this is such a good example of like, why is anybody even thinking about whether you should wear a mask or not? It's like so, it's such a free roll. It's such a no brainer. There's like basically nothing. And then people will say to me, but you don't know how much it stops the spread. And I'm like, I don't need to. Right. Because I know the answer is more than none. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know that how much it hurts me is not at all. I, I'm like literally sweating a little bit because it's hot out. That's it. I think I'll <laughs> like it in the winter because it will keep me warmer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> From the Onward Project. <laughs>